Because without an understanding of how much God loves us as Christians, we'll never be able to give out the kind of love that is expected of us to those in need, which is everyone. (laughs) I love to talk about blind Bartimaeus. You remember him? The guy from Mark chapter 10, I think around the 46th through the 52nd verse. I'm not going to read that today, but blind Bartimaeus was blind. He was a beggar. And before Jesus came along, he really had no options. He sat along the roadside and he begged for money to provide. Back then, there was no cure for blindness. But this man had heard about Jesus. He heard that Jesus had been healing people of blindness and other things. And that he was coming to his town that day. And so, instead of taking advantage of the big crowds that would be there that day, because surely there would be with Jesus passing through, he could have made a lot of money begging that day. That's how beggars think. They're opportunists. Where can I position myself when all the crowds are here and get the most? Not a bad plan, really, if that's your only means of providing. So, he didn't do that, though. He he had other plans. He had plans to meet this man. And to get his healing. And as it turns out. Bartimaeus called out to Jesus as he passed by. And Jesus heard him. They had him brought over to him and he healed him. Bartimaeus went that day from being a beggar. To being a believer. He had a better plan than just. Receiving extra donations that day. He he was healed. He was empowered to provide for himself now. And his family. And to help others. That might be in a bad situation. And I know that made the Lord very happy. To see the choice that Bartimaeus made that day. You know that day wasn't so different than our days. And we really need to examine the choices we're making regarding the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our day-to-day lives. Sometimes we're too busy in our day. Our beggarly existence, maybe, as it were. And we can't seem to find the time to pray and to seek God and to wait patiently for Him. For the things of God. And it shouldn't be like that. That would be like Bartimaeus not calling out for his healing. Because of the great opportunity he had to beg that day. Sometimes we miss God just thinking that he really can't help in the things that we need to do quickly and 
to take care of in our lives, and we'll get around to spending a little time with him once we fix everything that we need to take care of. And I'll tell you, it's really quite the opposite, truth be known. Unfortunately, people tend to live a life without God in it as long as they don't perceive an emergency of some sort. I don't think that's the case with anyone here, but maybe somebody hearing this message is going to need it. But that very reason is why this church has always been strengthened in times of tremendous persecution and problems. Because when there's a crisis, everybody runs to God. Just after like after September 11th, when the planes crashed into the buildings in New York City, the, the church really got strong and unified there for a little while. But God doesn't want us to have to experience tragedy before we'll enjoy His love and His power and healing and deliverance and discipleship and provision for our lives. We shouldn't let self-reliant pride and or spiritual laziness, as it were, and the demands of everyday life cause us to miss Jesus as He passes by us today. We need to get rid of that beggarly attitude and begin to act like real believers. Real believers who have a real relationship with Jesus and are empowered by the things He's provided through His promises. By the grace of God that we obtain by the faith that He's given us. Desperate for the things of God. The touch of God. And to be wrapped in the loving arms of God. You know, He never changes. It's just us who change. Sometimes when He seems so far away, it's really because we're so far away. He hasn't moved. He's right there. This identity crisis is a real thing all over the world and in the church and well, the world is blind and lost without hope. So, it has a beggarly existence. That's all it can do. It depends on its own wisdom, its own power, its own strength. And it always leads to sin, to anger, to bitterness, to rage. But we Christians, when things go bad, we shouldn't go with them. Amen? We have the great and precious promises that God has given us to cling to. We have the gospel of peace. We have the words of life. We have the Spirit of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us and gives life to our mortal bodies. And we are the light of the world. We are ambassadors to the world, not of the world. If there are two sides in a quarrel, ours should be that of a referee on with God's God's playbook in our hand. With the rules and regulations and the power to point people both sides 
because everybody's wrong, to the only truth which is found in Jesus Christ. God said in His Word in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I send you forth, you Christians, as sheep in the midst of wolves, a world full of wolves. And here you are, harmless, seemingly helpless sheep. But you're not harmless and to the devil. And you're not helpless because God is with you. Amen. It says, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. God wants you to be helped, which is our vision statement here. To be healed, empowered, loved, and prospered to the extent that you are so confident and powerful and blessed and walking in love. That you can make a real difference in the world that desperately needs to know love. Real love. Now God is love. And without being born again, the world does not truly even know love. They have lots of counterfeits. But the problem is they always end up pointing back to self. Back to self. Fulfilling self. Gratifying self. Taking selfies. (laughs) Nothing wrong with selfies. We even bought one of those sticks when we were on vacation one time. (laughs) But it's all about self. And when it's all about self, it's going to end up with hate and division and strife and bitterness and this mob mentality that is so prevalent in our culture today. And can I tell you this? This mob mentality, never God. That's never God. There's lots of things. When you begin to know God and His ways and His Word and fellowship and have relationship with the Lord, there's just certain things that make it so easy for you to determine what's right and what's wrong because you know what's God and what's not God. Mob mentality is never, ever, ever God. Never. So that makes it easy. (laughs) God is a God of order. God is a God of beauty and His kind of love is not self-seeking. His kind of love never fails. Isn't that what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? That great love chapter? Let's look over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to look at love today. I want want us to revisit some things about God's kind of love. So that we know what real love is and what the counterfeit is. And we're not caught up in any of these snares of cultural ideologies. Amen? So what is real love? So that we may employ it and, and walk in it. Now and and always. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 13. One of the things that I know about this passage of scripture. Let me see which which verse it is.
Well, I'll just read a few verses. Though I bestow all my goods, the third verse, all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, that's love in the King James language. I have my King James Bible here today, so if you have one that's in English, good for you. If I have not charity or love, it profit me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not, ha- behave, not, doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love or charity never faileth. One of the things it says is that love does not envy. It's, it's content. Envy and jealousy are at the root of all temptations. I'll tell you that right now. Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden by the serpent into believing that they were missing out on something good that God was withholding from them. And if he was able to make two people that were living in perfection, that walked in the cool of the day with God in the garden, if he was able to make them dissatisfied, he's going to try it on you. His tactics never change. God's love for us gives us supernatural contentment. So we should not envy It's a trap. Love is not boastful or proud. It's not better than other people. Look at Jesus' humility. And that's as far as we have to go. Here he was, the King of Kings. Creator of all that he came to as a little baby. Made himself just like us so that he could legally... Purchase back the dominion that we had given away. And allowed himself to be so mistreated. Came down from glory to this. And endured everything that he did because he thought you were worth it. And if he can do that, then we shouldn't be proud about anything except our Relationship with Him. Amen. Something else it says here is that love behaves. It doesn't act unseemly. It never acts out in an inappropriate way. (laughs) The devil wants you to believe that your emotions or your passions can't be controlled. That you can't help what you feel. That's not true. If it involves intimacy with anyone other than our spouse, it's not God. (laughs) We're not supposed to redefine what love is. And God has given us great instruction. 
Everything we'll ever need to know pertaining to us is covered in His Word. And all Scripture is God-breathed. God's love isn't selfish. Not about getting what we want, getting what we desire. Not real love. It's about selfless giving of ourselves to others. And as we give out, because everything's in seed form with God, He'll cause it to be multiplied back to us from somewhere we don't know. So if I'm selflessly giving to my wife, well, that's the marriage relationship. It should be 100-100. But if I, if I selflessly give to Josh or to George, I don't just wait with my eyes on them for them to return the favor and to give back to me. No, I forget about it. I gave because that's what God has instructed me to do. And that's how I participate in all of the spiritual and natural laws that He has put in place to be a blessing to me. I know that's coming back to me. Multiplied. But it may not be from George or Josh, so I don't worry about that. He'll provide a person... When God wants to bless you, He always provides a person. (laughs) But we don't care who it is. Somebody else we get to meet. Awesome. Hopefully, when they bless us, we can be a blessing back to them. But it's not based on reciprocation. That's how people that are still legalists think of their relationship with God. They get what they deserve. So they're always trying to earn a relationship with God and they're always feeling condemned because we're never going to be able to measure up. But when we take all of Jesus' qualifications and we put them on our resume, we're looking pretty good. And we're feeling pretty good that we can run right into the throne room of our Father in Heaven and say, Daddy, let me tell you what happened today. And I love you and I thank you. And by the way, there is that one thing that I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. And, and there's other thing that I want. <laughs> and thank you for that. And again, you're awesome and I love you. That's how I talk to him. And you should talk to him the way that you talk to someone you really love and love being with. Love doesn't have a a hot temper or short fuse. Many people have trouble with long-suffering, patience. God isn't easily angered. He is very patient with us. If you meditate on His patient love for you, let Him show you how patiently He loves you. It'll help you to be more patient. Because, trust me, He's very patient with you. And with me. And when we really see that, it's good to take responsibility for our lives. You know, there are some people, there was a presidential candidate. (laughs) It's, It's hard not to say who because you kind of figure it out. But they... That person is blaming everybody under the sun except themselves for everything for not everything bad that happened. 
No responsibility whatsoever on a gigantic book tour. Blamed about 70 people so far. you know what else love doesn't do? It doesn't keep score. Keeps no record of wrongs. <clears throat> this is a big one. This is a really big one. I think I'll stay on this for just a minute because we have to decide to walk in the loving forgiveness that Jesus employed in his life as we become more and more like him. Glory to glory. On the cross... He hung there suspended between heaven and earth and forgave the very people who had put him there. That's amazing. Stephen, the first martyr for the church, being stoned to death, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul at the time, was one of the ones who stood in approval, holding people's coats, watching them do it. And Stephen looked up to heaven and Asked the Lord to forgive those who were stoning him to death just before he died. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. For, so for, for him to say he saw him standing, I, I believe that Jesus was giving him a standing ovation. How proud he was. Thinking of the evil that has been done against us only fuels the devil's desire for us to walk in self-pity and anger and bitterness. You see it all over the country, all over the world. And it's a trap of the devil. I minister to people right along these lines constantly. I would say this is the main thing that I talk to people. I spend hours and hours and hours on telephone Helping people with this. And they're usually very, very happy when we're done. Because the Lord really loves to minister right here. And help people to understand and to trust Him regarding these things. We always feel like we're losing something. When we forgive and and move on. When, Especially for us men, it's really hard. Um, I'm, I'm sure it is for women too. So... I don't want to rule that out at all. Of course, I'm just saying I know as a man and I have men call me about this and they just, just oh, I can't believe, you know, this person is, you know, I could, I could really do some damage here and they have it coming. Nobody would think I'm wrong. You know what I mean? That type of thing. But they, they wouldn't have called me if they weren't trying to choose God's way. And the truth is God doesn't want us to have retribution. He wants us to take the low road, to be humble and to forgive, to trust Him with it. And I have to tell people that trust, forgiveness doesn't mean that you're accepting what's been done or saying that it's okay. It's not. It's just saying that you're giving it over to God to handle and He surely will. And it's saying that you're trusting Him with it and that you're going to let your reputation suffer if need be because that's just pride anyway. For the meanwhile, knowing that God will fight your battles whenever you sit down and quit trying. 
Jesus said, let's look in Matthew chapter 18 real quick. <laughs> the, the, it makes you feel better. The disciples struggled with this as well. Matthew chapter 18. Let's see here. Yep, the 21st verse. And I'll just read. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, I love this. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I think... (laughs) I think Peter was showing off a little bit here. I think... The Old Testament law didn't even require that many. So I think it was, I think it was, uh, I think it was three times. And Peter thought, well, I'll just show Jesus how forgiving I am. I'll double it and add one to it and, uh, and see what he says. <laughs> but, but Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And that'd be 490 times in a day. And I don't think he meant it literally. I think he meant... Matter of fact, I think if Peter would have gone back to him, how's this, and said, well, Lord, I did it. I forgave this guy 490 times today. Is it okay to hold some unforgiveness now? He just said, no, start over. <laughs> Amen. I'll tell you this, if you ever get to 490 times in a day that you've forgiven somebody for the same offense and they've asked for forgiveness, you you call me and we'll talk about it. (laughs) But look at this one. Go to 1 Corinthians. Well, no, I don't have time for that today. If I get down this path, I'm going to just stay on it. Yeah, but Jesus, I will stay right there we're at though, Matthew 18, and just back up a little bit, because I want to tell you, he did give some instructions on how to handle some things that I think if people would employ, we'd be a lot better off, amen? Go back to the 15th verse of Matthew chapter 18, and Jesus is talking here, he said, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Someone sins against you. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. In other words, go tell him. You, by yourself, go tell him in a private conversation that he's offended you. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. In other words, if he agrees with you and it all it work it out, then it's all good. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. In other words, if he won't listen to you and he's done something bad and you wanted to straighten it out and he won't talk to you by himself and he won't hear then then get a couple of other friends and go, not to go beat up on him, but to go talk to him, make, talk some reason into him, some, some, some sense, some of God's ways into him. And then he says that, 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 uh, Take one or two with thee more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And then, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth. So in other words, 
There's a long process, though, but it starts with just one-on-one conversation. If we would always do what Jesus said, I think we'd be a lot better off. Jesus' instructions on how to resolve conflict with others is seldom followed, in my experience. The very first step which is given is to go directly to those who trespass against us. Usually, we go to others and tell them what's been done to us. So we become a tool, in a way, of the devil to spread the offense and infect others with the same strife and bitterness. Instead of just trying to do it. Well, that's what James says in chapter 3, verse 16 of James. But if, but if we would just do it Jesus' way, if we would always talk to those who offend us before we talk about those who offend us, it would solve a lot of problems. Most people don't like conflict. So if we had to speak to the person we were upset with before we said anything to anyone else, I think we'd decide a lot of times, well, it's not even worth it, just blow it off. And we'd be right. Because a lot of times people don't even mean to offend when, when people are offended with them. Sometimes they don't even know that they've done anything. And I'm telling you, it's a bad, bad dilemma that we suffer in this world, in this country. And if people would just do things the way that God has laid out, it would be a lot better. You go to 1 Corinthians in the 5th chapter, don't, you don't have to go over there, but he even goes further. He, and, and, and there's instructions for the church and for us. And it tells us that we're not even supposed to, don't, don't even judge unbelievers. God's going to handle that. The ones that we're supposed to focus on are within the church. And it says, you know, after Jesus' instructions here, Paul takes it further. And he's talking to the to Corinthian church as a whole. And he says, if, if a, someone who calls himself a believer, if they continue on with this pattern of lasciviousness and, um, and uh, they're, they're, they're fooling around and they're, 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 they're just drinking and doing drugs and they're, they're messing around with people that aren't their wives, he said, just, just stop having anything to do with them. There's a lot... What I'm saying is there's a pattern of church discipline that the world rejects completely. There's no such thing as that anymore. People don't even really need a... They don't think they need that sort of thing anymore. They, they want to go to church and sit in and maybe listen for an hour a week. And the rest is, you know... They need to figure it out. If they need somebody to determine a dispute, they'll go to court, you know. I mean, but, but everything, God is a God of order and His church is supposed to be unified and walking in love and helping one another in this regard. It's not about discipline and getting on to people. It's about restoring them, really. That's always the, the bigger goal because it goes on. Even that person that Paul says, to treat as an outcast, temporarily he tells people, go back later, go restore them now. Go restore them so they're not hurt too bad and the devil doesn't have his way with them. You see, so it's always about people. It's always about restoration. It's always about love. And, and why does God say, don't, don't judge the outsider? It's not that we don't have anything to do with the world. It's just that they, they really, they're helpless against the wiles of the devil because they still have his 
spirit in them until they're saved. So we're not supposed to go. I mean, it's like it's like it's like abusing somebody in a wheelchair because they can't walk. You know what I mean? But now that you're in the church and you've been born again and freed of all that, you're supposed to grow a little bit as you go. And so those are the things that God has provided for. But forgiveness and bitterness is not an option with the believer. It's just not. And as soon as we realize that, then we'll move on and we'll be a lot better off for it. We'll have a lot more peace. There was a man also who got choked. Do you remember that? When he owed a lot, a lot of money to the king. And he could never repay it. It was millions upon millions and he didn't have any money. And the king heard about it and he asked for pity and and the king forgave him the whole debt. And he walked outside of that courtroom or that audience with the king and he saw a guy that owed him a few bucks and he started choking him. The guy begged him, Let me just give me a little time, I'll pay you. And he said, no, and he just choked him. And the king said, you wicked, wicked servant. I'm going to put you in prison now. And you're never going to get out until you repay me every penny. I'd forgiven you everything. And that's a picture of Jesus in us. And so for us to think that we can hold unforgiveness or bitterness against somebody when he's forgiven us everything. And we'll never even bring it up again. That's what we're supposed to do too. I'm going to move on from that. I think we we needed that. I did. Love doesn't take delight in evil or iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. That's one of the other things it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If we get pleasure from things that are sinful, then we really aren't full of God's love. That's one of the points that God is making. It doesn't matter if we're doing it or really just being entertained by it. Because I know as adults we say, well, I can differentiate. I know, you know, the difference. I wouldn't be too sure. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. And, you know, bad company isn't always just a person, a friend or someone you're with. It's whatever you're putting before you. Keep that in mind. It says it bears all things. Love bears all things. God love has no limitations. It has no boundaries. Its sustaining power is limitless. And again, we just look at the life of Jesus. We don't listen to our flesh or the world, but we draw on the supernatural power of God. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Praise God. It also says that love believes all things. You know, God's love produces faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, Faith works by love. When we experience the love that God has for us, just like I was talking about initially, faith comes as a natural byproduct of that relationship. If we need more faith, To believe God today, we just need to go to a place of intimacy with Him, to our prayer closet. We need to spend some time with Him, and our faith will strengthen. Amen? There's one thing that I want to 
touch on today because it kind of goes hand in hand. You hear a lot today about political correctness. PC. <laughs> it's even got a, a short, shortened verse, just PC now. Instead of a personal computer, that's political correctness now, I guess. On the surface, political correctness can be made to look right. Now, bear with me on this. If being politically correct means that we treat people of different backgrounds with respect and we don't stereotype them based on their race or their gender, then yes, it would be a very biblical thing. But this is not the real intention of our modern politically correct movement in our culture. In truth, this movement is designed to intimidate people into using language that has been pre-approved. Political correctness is completely focused on human sensitivity and self-esteem and emotions. And when you focus on human sensitivity and self you eliminate God from your life. Emphasizing human sensitivity and adjusting our words will never produce self-esteem or self-respect. Self-acceptance stems from, first and foremost, from our knowledge of who we are in Jesus Christ. We need to take up our identity in Christ alone and learn to be confident based on who we are in Him, not who the world says or thinks of us or th says we are. That's why true followers of Jesus should never engage in this absurdity, this shallowness of this political correct environment. It comes to no good end, believe me. We have to declare openly, though, and without shame, that all those who are in Christ Jesus are brothers and sisters in Him. Everyone who knows Jesus, whether they're man or woman, young or old, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, or from any other background, they're all equal in His sight. That's always been the case. Every one of us are going to share equally in the inheritance of our Heavenly Father. That's the truth. The whole truth. Before this politically correct crowd was ever born, believers loved one another. That's one of the things that they said about the church in the Roman times. Is that, man, this, this group really takes care of their own, and this group takes care of their own. But these Christians, they love everyone. That was the testimony of some of the ancient writers about the early church. And it was true. They didn't love because they were pressured to do so by society. They did it because of Jesus. Because Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. And they did. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's John 13, verses 34 and 35. We have to continue to declare to the world that God doesn't judge us by outward appearance, but He judges us based on our faith in Him, in His Son. Faith is the common denominator, not political correctness. And unfortunately, they have created a God of their imagination in a sense. And government should never be a God. Government was not designed to be our provider and caretaker. God is a jealous God. That's why it's not okay to say, well, I'm a Christian, but this one's a Muslim and this one's a Jew and this one's a Buddhist. And as long as we're all trying to do the best we can, we'll all get to the same place eventually. That's a lie. That's a lie. The King of Kings, the Creator of all things, would not have stepped down. God would not have sent His Son from heaven to come and be treated the way He was and to die the brutal death that He died just to be one of the ways back to Him. Nothing could be a bigger lie than those who believe in this universalism and everybody's good and we're all just going to go to the light. There are those that are seeking to revise our history. And there are these so-called liberal Bible scholars now. Who just know the words on the page, by the way. They don't know the man. But these liberal Bible scholars and these historians who are trying to apply corrupted modern day values to the word of God and, and, and historical facts. They remove all the pieces that they don't like. I've talked to a whole bunch of them and they dismiss large portions of this Bible and it seems like every year and every month they're taking out more and more. Anything that doesn't line up with their way of life or thinking, they just dismiss it. And so what they do is they just... They come to a, a place where no real church environment works. So they have to create their own. And then they just say, this is just an old book written by men about God. And that God has evolved. And we've gotten smarter. And now we just know better than these dumb old guys did, you see. But the truth is, this book was written by God through men to you. To reveal himself to you and he doesn't change. He doesn't evolve and, and all that nonsense. We have to be warned if we continue on this path as a nation we're going to end up with a pack of lies. And our children will never learn the truth about the word of God or the history of their nation. So somebody needs to stand up. And and speak out. And pray. Prayer is a powerful thing. Prayer is what got us this reprieve that we have 
at the nation's capital right now. And these politically correct people, they're missing out on it because they're looking at the man instead of the message, instead of the agenda, which is God's agenda. God can use anybody He wants. They still have their own salvation to work out with fear and trembling. He used a donkey one time. He used a rooster one time. Praise God. Scripture is clear. In 2 Timothy, Paul warns Timothy not to be ashamed to preach the gospel. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 2,000 years ago, Paul said this was going to happen. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. It's politically incorrect to say now these days that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But that that is the truth. Only His truth changes lives, unlocks the beauty of our full worth as men and women who are made in His image. And that's where our confidence should come from. Our identity should come from Him alone. Only He can change our hearts so that we're able to love our neighbors. We have to remember that the Bible teaches us in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is true faith expressing itself through love. Love hopes. Love never fails. There's no fear in love. God has a perfect and supernatural plan for our lives. That's why... That's why we are to have hope. Because God does have a plan for us, for our todays and for our future. If we'll believe that hope will grow in us as we focus on God, then we're going to see great things happen. Because this hope will rise up as we put more of this in us and more trust in Him and we recall all the wonderful things Encounters we've had with Him and His faithfulness all along the path. Our faith will rise up. Our hope will rise up. And love never fails. Because as we act in love, we use the strongest force in the universe. Just believe. Just trust God. Just practice patience. Forgive one another. And love will never fail you. Amen? There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Just like Josh said in that scripture he read. Fear has to do with punishment. We don't have to worry about that white throne judgment. God has put our sins away as far as the east is from the west. And no one can take us from him. He loves us. He's right there with us. He's assigned angels to encamp round about us to protect us. And as we operate in faith and we speak His truths and His promises over our lives and over our children and over our bodies and over our 
the work that he gives us to do and we speak what he says instead of what the world says over our bank accounts and over every part of our life, we're going to see it prosper because we're putting confidence and trust in the promises that he has spoken over us. He has spoken the blessing over our lives. And we need to begin to rise up and act like those who are blessed and those who are loved of God and who are operating in the agenda that God has for our lives. I just want to close with this. I always love this poem that Mother Teresa wrote. It's called Anyway. Most of you have heard it, I'm sure. She said, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for helping us to protect this word and not allow the enemy to take it. Let it go deep in our hearts and take root and rise up and bear fruit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have put your love in us and we thank you for the faith that your word has provided for us to obtain the things that you provided by grace. And we thank you, Lord, that we choose to be Christians who have fruitful lives. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit, all the peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that are ours in abundance because you are in us and we are in you. We thank you that we are supernatural beings and we will walk in love and will help others to know the love that we have been given by and through you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your perfect sacrifice on our behalves. We accept all of your goodness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.